Welcome to the Fish Nerds. It's a celebration of fish, fishing, and eating fish that is always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm John Devencenis of Wachusett Reservoir Addicts. And here are the nerds. I am Carrie Z of the Hunt Fish Travel Podcast and of the Adventure and Travel Podcast, which I'm launching this summer. Wow, Carrie Z is on my show. Uh, I'm, I know. I know. I'm Clay Groves, uh, Chief Executive Fish Nerd of the Fish Nerds Podcast, and anything is fair game. It's a good bet that after today's show, you're going to want to fish more and talk less, because Carrie and I are going to talk a lot. Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. This is so fun. Yeah, we were just talking before the show how you and I have been friends, uh, internet friends now for a couple of years, and yes. we've never actually been out on each other's shows yet, and this is our first kind of crossover. This is like when, when the Globetrotters came on Scooby-Doo. You know, it's kind of a big, it's a big deal. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's a podcasting <laughs> event. So before we get into, into the Fish Nerds podcast, you host the Hunt Fish Travel podcast, uh, which I've been listening to for a long time. You guys have, have yes. done, do a great job with that show. Tell uh, our audience why they should listen to your podcast in addition to the Fish Nerds podcast. The Hunt Fish Shovel Podcast is the first and longest running female hosted hunting podcast. I was a podcast host before it was cool. It's still not up- that cool. I know. It's still nerdy. It's all get out. I know. It's so nerdy. Yeah. But it's awesome nerdy. We're like the cool kids club that nobody knows is cool. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Especially since we're not 20 years old. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm coming up on my five-year anniversary here in May. Congratulations. And thank you. Most podcasts don't make it past the one-year mark. Most don't make it past seven episodes. I know, right? It's terrible. Everybody thinks it's... It's so easy to podcast, and they can just pick up a mic and go, well, yeah, that's true technically, but let's see where you're at in six months. Exactly, yeah. Get out of my garage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. We'll see if you can hang with the big boys. Yeah, let's see how much you're... <laughs> it's a marathon. But anyway, so what is the Hunt Fish Travel Podcast? Tell us about it. Give us the elevator It is. Pitch. Yeah, it's where to go, where to stay, and where to eat. I basically interview people who explain... Their particular hunts, a lot of storytelling, some tips and tactics, but a little more on the travel side of things. So if you want to plan a trip to go elk hunting in Colorado, I have an episode that will tell you exactly from start to finish how to get it done. Which is pretty, excuse me, pretty great. I'm drinking beer right now. I just burped. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I've I've been ice fishing all day and I'm just fried and I earned a beer. Um, yeah, ice fishing for money. I get paid to go ice fishing now. So I know you're one of the lucky one. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's not lucky. Um, <laughs> you earn it. <laughs> so, but so hunt fish travel podcast. Then get it anywhere podcasts are found, including the network that we are co-owners of. That is very true. Right, we Let's are co-founders. Co-founders, and this is now yeah. we are co-founders of the outdoor podcast channel. Right. And yes. on that, on that, that's really great because this is one feed where you can get, you know, like, what is it? There must be like eight or nine podcasts there now, right? Yes. Yeah, we keep adding them on. <laughs> yeah. I know we have got two more coming on here this summer as well. Cool. It's been, we're cool. Do you know the Outdoor Podcast Channel is entering its second year I, wow, in April? Wow. Happy uh, Fish anniversary to you. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Wow. 
It doesn't seem like that long. It doesn't. It doesn't. Well, because it's, you know, because because we're all still making our podcasts and just keep posting our show. Yeah. That. So with the out, Outdoor Podcast channel, it's just one feed where you get a different podcast every single day, sometimes two a day now that we have, uh, you know, more than seven shows on there. Right. And so all your favorite outdoor shows on, on one stream. And shows like the Hunt Fish Travel Podcast, the Fish Nerds, our friend uh, Jay Scott, the Big Buck Registry, Big Buck Podcast is on there. And yep. who else is on there? Up North Journal yeah. from Michigan. By the way, the those, guys are, those guys are a big deal, aren't they? They were one of the very first, if not the first, outdoor podcast. Mm-hmm. Up North Journal has been around for like almost 10 years. It's yeah. insane. Yeah. Consistently, yeah. every week they put out an episode for like... I don't even know how many years. I don't know how they do it. Yeah, and I don't either. Uh, let's see. There's but there's it's other tough. shows there too, right? There's yep. Back at the, the Lodge, Taking. which I just started listening yep. to. I just started enjoying that a lot. Yeah, they they do a great job. So Back at the Lodge, Taking Podcast. We've got in archive. We've got the Bow Dudes and the Bow Divas. Yeah, we've got Where to Hunt. Yeah, and who am I missing? Uh, a couple of archived ones. <laughs> Black Man with a Gun. Oh, that's not honest. We don't have that anymore. No, Ken Blanchard is on to bigger and better things. You know, I hear him on other podcasts now, like talking about like as an expert now. Yes, yes, he is (laughs) busy, busy guy. (laughs) Well, good, good on him. We always like to see people kind of kind of rising up. But uh, anyway, there's there's a ton of shows on there, and more coming all the time. Uh, You get that at outdoorpodcastchannel.com or anywhere you get your podcast. It's one stream at least a show every single day, if not more. Uh, and uh, it's it's really great, and we're the only ones doing that. I think where we have many different shows thematically on one podcast stream. So it's kind of a neat experiment. Yeah, in the outdoor industry, anyway. Oh, are there are other people doing it. There are. Um, there's really only a handful of them. Actually, um, one of my buddies, Rob Sharkey, just founded the Farm Rural Agricultural Network. I think. So you can also, you know. <laughs> Actually, you know who else does it is uh, Glenn Hebert, the uh, Glenn the Geek does that also with the Horse Radio. Oh network. yeah, yeah, yep. And I think Pod Bros Network is also a network. No, these are all great networks, and it's wonderful because they're all experts in their own niche. And every day you get a new yeah. new episode from a new show. It's wonderful. Yeah. Well, the Pod Bros fired the Fish Nerd, so I'm not commenting on them anymore. <gasps> yeah, we were on their network. Well, you, could, you could just edit them out then. No, I'm leaving. Man, but I want everyone to know. <laughs> No, I think it's because I didn't say their name enough times. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's terrible. It is terrible, but you no. know, you can't do it all. So, no. I, I like their shows anyway. But Yeah. No, uh, seriously. When I say fire, um, they never paid us. It doesn't make any difference. You can't, you know, we're on their network. It's <laughs> <laughs> Just a side note, if you don't mind a shameless plug for the farm, rural, ag network i'm not even saying it correctly so rob sharkey and i we co-host the farmer and the city girl podcast which is just a big discussion about food obviously i don't know i'm thinking about putting it on outdoor podcast channel i don't know if it really fits there it's outside stuff right sure no i had no idea you did that podcast yeah we just launched it uh beginning of february so throw links into the show notes, Carrie, and we'll make sure to get on I had no idea. How do you now, Carrie, you've got a family. Right? I do not. I have no kids. Oh, that's how you have time. Okay. Yes, totally. Yeah, because I can't figure it. Because I have two kids and a wife, and I have like, you know, we've got to get the kids to ski lessons and dance lessons and karate and Girl Scouts, and I have to fish. 
and I have to make this podcast. I and mean, now you're making like what four podcasts now, and I don't know how you can do it. I know it's so craziness. The, the, the internet is your baby. Podcasts, <laughs> podcasts are my baby. Are I have found baby. my niche. Now, if I could just make some money at it, it's magical <laughs> and impossible. I think <laughs> <laughs> um, we're always chasing that unicorn. It, it is. It is. Uh, speaking of unicorns, uh, this podcast is 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 funded in part, almost entirely, by the listeners. Of the show. If you're on patreon.com slash fish nerds, uh, you could give us a dollar an episode and help us fund our show. And right now, we are making just barely enough money on Patreon to cover all of our show costs. This has been four years. We have not covered even half of our costs. In the last three months, we've covered all of our costs, which is amazing. That's incredible. Yeah, at $1 a time, except for one person. One person donated $25 an episode. That's amazing. That person deserves a virtual high five. Well, their virtual high five is going to be a plug for their real business. So uh, it's actually my friend Josh Lopes. He actually lives in, on my driveway. He's, uh, I, I, live, I live in the White Mountains, and and in my driveway is another house that no one lives in. It's a vacation property, and Josh owns that property um, so people can vacation in my driveway. Um I live where people want to be on vacation. Um, but Josh lives in, in Hanover, Massachusetts, and he supports our podcast. He's a big fan. And he's an accountant. So you want to talk about nerds. Josh is totally oh a nerd. Yeah. Josh uh, Lopes is an accountant, and it's tax season, and he owns um, a business called Lopes Tax at lopestax.com. And if you want a good guy in Massachusetts to help with your taxes, go to lopestax.com. And uh, talk to talk to Josh and have him do your taxes for you. It's, it's that simple. And you can tell him the fish nerds sent you. And if you love the nerds and you're in Massachusetts, go to Josh. And I know half of our listeners yes. are Massachusetts, so that's actually pretty good. I need my taxes done. I should go to LopesTax.com. You should. You know who? I go to my own computer.com and do my own taxes because I don't have the, <laughs> I don't have the Lopes tax money to pay out. <laughs> but if you can tell, afford tell, it, wait. yeah. Tell me a little more about the vacation rental. Oh, so so I live in the White Mountains, right in the White Mountain National Forest. And tens of thousands of people come here every season, all year round, to go on vacation. And so Josh owns a, a house on my driveway. It's a beautiful brick house with a fireplace and all that kind of stuff with views to the, to the mountains, the moat mountains. And he rents it out as a, like a vacation rental to make money to pay for it so he could own a vacation home. And it's a short drive from there to great ski areas, hunting areas, fishing areas, lots of good fishing around here. And it's in my driveway. I plow his driveway for him. So, yeah, right. it's a pretty great place. It's a big, you know, sleeps like 100 people or something like that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, not That's 100, awesome. but it's great. So, yeah, you can, you, can, <laughs> you can come to New Hampshire, Carrie, and stay in my driveway. How funny would that be? It would be awesome. You should come next winter and we'll go fishing. I'm in. I'm in. Mm. Hooray. Anyway, that's uh, lopestax.com. And to support the Fish Nerds, go to patreon.com slash fishnerds and give us a dollar an episode. We're hoping all of our listeners give us $1 an episode. That's 4 bucks a month. And that's all it would take to, to fully fund the show and make me afford to go to cool places like Anaheim this summer. And we'll, you'll hear more about that later. So, yeah. but Carrie, I'm excited to have you on the show because I follow you on Facebook and we've been friends. And you do stuff I don't get to do and we can't do in New Hampshire. And that is go uh, spear fishing through the ice for sturgeons. And yes. I, I need to know what this all means because I'm fascinated. First of all, by the way, I'm going to tell you 
the part of me is very uncomfortable with spearing sturgeons for a number of reasons, but part of me is really excited about it too. So I want to hear about it and talk about the sturgeon you're catching, and I want to talk a little bit about like how do you get okay with spearing fish too? Because I have a, I have kind of two feelings on it. So tell us about your adventure of spearing sturgeons. So sturgeon, Lake Sturgeon in Lake Winnebago in Wisconsin is, in my opinion, one of the greatest conservation efforts ever. It is one of the greatest conservation successes ever. Mm-hmm. So I don't know when it was, 70s or something like that, um, all the sturgeon got wiped out, basically. Like all and of them? Like, yeah, like they were gone. No so sturgeon, so, oh, and um, I should have looked up his name. One of the DNR biologists, or one of the bi- biologists here in Wisconsin decided that they were going to take it upon themselves to reintroduce the Lake Sturgeon in Lake Winnebago. Many, many, many efforts failed. It had to do with the sturgeon eggs, the stickiness, I don't know, all sorts of biological stuff. They traveled all over the world looking for answers, came up with the answer. They were able to reintroduce the sturgeon back into the lake. And the, the people for the sturgeon people for tomorrow, they're they're insane when it comes to sturgeon. <laughs> like it's, they're very passionate. They've spent a lot of money bringing this fish back in the 30 or 40 years. So now we have a very 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 limited spearing season. And we are the only place in the country that you can spear sturgeon except for one small lake in Michigan, but they only give out like six six tags. Right. And this, out- this is like a big like event. People just plan their vacations around this whole sturgeon event, right? It is because it's such a great story and it's not just about spearing the fish. Because realistically the success rate is like thirteen percent. Right. It's very low. It's about that's staring, not why you come. It's like sitting in a shack, drinking beer and staring at the water. Oh, yeah. yeah. They <laughs> joke that it's like um, duck hunting through a chimney because it really is because you see nothing and you stare at nothing for many hours. Fascinating. But it's a good excuse to drink Bloody Marys, whatever. Yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> it's a 14-day season. They have specific caps. And once that harvest cap is met, they close the season. Otherwise, it like this year, we did not even hit the hit the harvest numbers so it was kind of a poor season which is fine because that means next year will be better that's all right sturgeon are very slow growers it's not uncommon to spear a 60 70 year old fish right right and that's where and that's where my brain goes is i think oh that fish lived for 50 years or 60 years and now you speared it (laughs) like that's my my like that whole like slow growth thing in my head i'm like oh I get it, but, but at the same time, it's like, oh, I feel terrible about it. I know, but that's why we have such strict regulations. Sure. Like, I mean, even like in the so in the spring when they come up river to spawn, we have it's called the sturgeon guard. We go out there and we stand guard over these spawns to keep people from poaching them. I mean, we're really invested in the in the success of this species. Right. Having and I, and I hear you on that. Like a lot of uh, we talked about this on last week's show. I had a um, we talked hunting a lot. And a lot of people don't realize that even though you're hunting and fishing, it really is a conservation movement. It's it's about it's about making sure that resource sticks around. And people who spend the time outside in the outdoors with these animals, you know, if they're following the regulations, they're probably protecting them in a lot of ways too. Exactly. Yeah. And they're very and sturgeon spears are very, 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 very protective. They would oh my god, God help a poacher, for real. <laughs> 
<laughs> they, uh, they be strung up in the square. <laughs> now, but there's no catch and release. You have you, when you spear a sturgeon. That's it. It's a goner. It is. So yeah, you can't like, get like big you suction use. cups or something. You can just like. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very, very rare that anyone spears a sturgeon below the minimum inch requirement. Right. Very rare because you can see it. Yes. Yeah. So you're looking though you're looking ten, fifteen feet of water, and if water clarity is good, so you lay down some PVC pipes. They're in, usually in the shape of an axe or some lattice, just to kind of break up, so you can see that silhouette against against the. Oh, so you put the, the dirt. All right, so to, back up. How deep are you spearing okay. these things? Um, pr- usually no more than fifteen feet. So you can see the bottom. Yes. Okay, I got you. And then so you, you lay down the PVC pipe, uh-huh. and that gives you kind of a measurement reference point. Okay. So you're sitting there in your dark house. You've got a big square shanty. It's heated on the ice, and it's all blacked out because they're real smart. They'll silhouette you. They'll look up, and they'll silhouette you, so you want to be all blacked out. So you're and a dark, you've got this dark house. Yes. Mm-hmm. Huge holes that you're spearing through. They're very large. The spears are very heavy. You don't really chuck them like you do when you spear northerns you just take them off the hook and you when you see that sturgeon you kind of just let gravity take its take hold of the spear and it'll work for you you really don't have to do much and the the prongs are super sharp they're like you know broadhead sharp so i just slice right through now yeah okay so you're out on the ice you talk you drive a truck out there first thing in the morning yes right on this like ice highway Yep, you can only spear from 7 a.m. until 1 in the afternoon. Oh, that's good. So you can have a nap no yeah. matter what. Okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know that's coming. Oh, I, I like that 7 a.m. start time, too. A lot of these things are like 4 in the morning. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. All right. It so, is. You, so you drive your truck out there. You get in the dark house. You drop your wrecks down the bottom. You stare at the hole drinking Bloody Marys, watching <laughs> for the sturgeon to cruise across the X. And if it's big enough, you drop the spear on it. Pull it out and celebrate. And do you did you do this every day for fourteen days? No, no. I only do it opening weekend, the first two days of opening weekend. Okay, and I you do I, I can't year. take off work that much. No, you don't make a living podcasting. I do not Weird. imagine that. I know. I know. So <laughs> so then so you're watching these things swim by, and then did you get any? No, no. I this is my <laughs> sixth year spearing, and I have not yet gotten one. Have you seen one? No. <laughs> no. So you, so, <laughs> wow. I know. So for me, I, know, cause, I would be like, yeah, forget it. I'll watch it on TV. You know, like they edit I know, because it's expensive. It's not cheap to go sturgeon spearing, because even just renting a shit, so I don't own my own shanty, I rent a dark house, and it's like 400 bucks for the weekend just to rent the wow. shanty. Yeah. So well, for 400 bucks, do they, do they cut the hole for you? They do. Okay. Well, actually, they let us cut the hole, which is so fun. Right, it's a big saw, right? Yeah, it's a huge ice saw. Oh, like not not a chainsaw, but you can use chainsaws. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, those that's amazing. And then, yeah, it's super wow. fun. So you've done it six years in a row. I've been watching you do it for the last two years, <laughs> yep. and I haven't seen you holding a big sturgeon yet. So I think it's interesting. Yeah. I, I would, for me, I would, I would quit because I'm a quitter. But it's not about sturgeon. It's not about spearing the sturgeon, really. It's about the sturgeon spectacular, the events that are going on in the Fond du Lac area. I mean, they have huge events. They have bands out on the ice. They have a huge bonfire. They have. It's just a lot of fun. The experience itself. This year, we had some folks from down south. We had Rob and Emily Sharkey from Illinois, and 
we had Rodney Young and his friend Gene, I can't remember his last name, from Alabama. Alabama. And they they had a wonderful time. Yeah. They had a good time just with the weekend. Well, I mean, just, for, and for them, the novelty, first of all, being on the ice, that's a huge thing. Yes. And then, Definitely. And then being in this ice house in the dark, looking under there, I mean, hanging out. That's, it's a whole cultural thing that a lot it of is. people, if, if those of us who are on the ice every day, forget that being on the ice is magical to most of the world. It's not a thing most people are doing. Uh, and that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, I see all the events happening in town there and all the, the crazy whisker hats and all that people are wearing. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it looks like a good take, you know. So it is more about the event than the fish. And uh, that's yeah. really cool. And But you haven't gotten one, which bums me out. And now if you get them, do you eat them? Yes. Yes. Definitely. You know, they, they taste some – so you can – most people smoke them. Um, they're very oily like salmon are. Mm-hmm. Or I actually prefer them staked out like – and they taste a lot like shark steaks. Oh, it's, so. it's really funny you said it because I was just thinking about – when I think about sturgeon, I think about sharks because they're that really yep. old animal, like evolutionary yes. speaking. They're very old and they're huge. And I would I would also stake them. But I was just cleaning my freezer out today and I found a Mako shark steak from 2011 from a, from a, <laughs> from a shark that I helped catch. And uh, so my, my kid and I are going to eat that for dinner tomorrow night. We're excited about it. That's awesome. That's really cool. And so you like yours staked out, and then how do you cook your steaks? Um, grill, of course. Grill. What kind of sauce do you put on it? None. None. Just eat it no. the way it is. All natural. Salt well, and pepper. you know, season yeah. salt and pepper, garlic, garlic salt, maybe. Mm-hmm. Some Lowry's. <laughs> what, what's a Lowry? Lowry seasoning salt. I never you heard are of not that. from the Midwest. No. Nope. <laughs> I'm afraid to be that far from the ocean. Like oh my gosh! I find I find it. I can't figure out why anyone lives more than an hour from the ocean. I don't get it. It's so far. Like it's, some of these some of these sturgeon that are taken are as big as the fish you catch in the ocean. I, We've got 150 pounders. I know, and it's funny because we have sturgeon up here, Atlantic sturgeon, and mm-hmm. in the springtime they they spawn and they'll come up in our tidal rivers and they'll just do these. They'll they'll rise and roll over and they're huge. They're like you know the same thing. Yeah. Um, we're not allowed to fish for them. But but they're there, you know, and yep. I don't know. That's what I think. So I'm, I'm always like very protective of these old fish. But I, I'm glad to hear that you guys are looking out for them. And someday when I have money, I'm going to come out and do this. Last year you invited me to come and I just couldn't. I know. I couldn't do it. <laughs> you know, the open, open invitation. I know. I know. It's tough. Um, and now I'm now I'm an ice fishing guide. It's even harder for me to get away in the wintertime. I know. Well, and despite the... Like the shanty rental, which is really the most part, the highest cost. Non-resident tags are only $65, and you do not need a fishing license for it. Well, if you so, buy I mean, tag that anyway, part of it's yeah. cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, let me ask you this. So, you're out there sturgeon spearing. Can you ice fish while you're sturgeon spearing? Well, while you're waiting for a fish? Or do people just do one or the other? It's usually just one or the other, and I don't believe, per the regulations, you can... You can put out, like, tip-ups if you wanted to. You just can't... Because we have... I, th- I believe our maximum... Hole size is 12 inches, mm-hmm. and the size of the holes that we cut are like six foot by four foot. Right. So, you can't fish in a hole like that. <laughs> correct. <laughs> you wouldn't want to anyway. Um, well, that's yeah. interesting. So, and, and then can you, can you do anything to attract the sturgeon to the hole? You can use decoys. Mm-hmm. A lot of people use hand cut ones. Like I have a bright pink shiny one. They're very curious. And... It's. I know people who've literally speared huge sturgeon using coffee cups because the smell attracts them. The smell of old coffee att- wow. attracts them. You're not allowed to use any live bait. Right. 
at all or any organic matter. So you have to use fake decoys. Interesting. You know, I think yeah. maybe I'm an old sturgeon because old coffee attracts me also. Right? I know. Uh, I, just, I, I, I love crappy coffee. <laughs> I, I love good coffee too but like i'm so happy with a terrible cup of coffee like a uh, terrible but you're, you're yeah. like the old and you smell that coffee stick your nose in it and you're like that's great this mm, is the best ever that's good to the last drop i'm in <laughs> count me in on that one that's really cool wow this is why we're friends yeah now so carrie can i steal some photos off of your facebook page of this of course and, and use them on our website for this absolutely so, so people go to fishners.com they can look at photos of of Carrie uh, trying to spear these things, uh, <laughs> and and see what some of these, the, the spectacle is all about. It's really cool stuff. Thanks yeah. thanks for sharing that with us. Um, so next year you're gonna do it again, of course. Yeah. So does your, does your husband go along? He does. He does not spear. He's not really an outdoorsman as far as hunting or spearing goes but he he enjoys coming along just for the experience of it he usually goes home by saturday night but friday friday night is when the big bonfire is and everything and then we usually grill out for lunch on saturday this year we did brats and it's a lot of fun i i i feed my clients brats while i'm ice fishing isn't that the best there's something about and they think it's so cool they do you fire the grill i have a grill on the back of my snowmobile and i fire it yep. up and it, and it's brats and sauerkraut and they're like you know yeah. they're working hard fishing and all of a sudden the hot food gets in their belly and they've got another two it's hours. The best. Of them. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's just automatic. Yeah. If you're if you're not sure about going on the ice, bring bring a way to make hot food. It will change <laughs> right. your brain. It's amazing. It does. Yeah, yeah it levels up the whole experience. So really I cool. Know. All right, so hey, so we have a lot on this show to get to. We have all kinds of yes. like smorgasbord of stuff that that I've already put together. So first up, we have um, Rich Collins. Rich Collins is our new fly fishing correspondent, and he uh, also is a internet entrepreneur. He owns uh, ThirstProductions.com, which is a website company, I think. Uh, but he's an avid fly fisherman. He went to guide school with me, and. This year, his job is to get me to be a better fly fisher, which is not going to be hard to do because I'm so bad at it. Uh, but anyway, he puts together the Fly Fishing Minute, and here is that. Hello, nerds! This is Rich Collins, your fly fishing correspondent, with another edition of the FN Fly Fishing Minute. Today, I want to talk about the New England pastime known as show season. That is the colder months of winter when uh, we tend to have a lot of fishing shows in arenas and hotels. Um, this weekend was one in particular, the New Hampshire Fly Fishing Show, Fly Fish New Hampshire Show, put on by the Merrimack Valley Trout Unlimited. Um, it was a great collection of the players and the people that kind of make our local fly fishing world tick. Everything from conservationists to guides to fly tires to authors. I mean, they were all everybody that was everybody was there at this event i know it sounds a little silly a bunch of people getting together in the middle of winter going out to a resort or a conference place but it really is kind of fun um and it's fun for this reason that fishing is uh, it's a solitary sport but there's a ton of camaraderie as well and this is a good way to get out and talk to people and to get a better grasp on issues like conservation and uh style of fishing, share ideas, you know, everything from Tenkara to um, 
to winter fishing. It's all it's all talked about. There's somebody there doing it, and there's someone there that's better than you at everything. That's the other interesting part is there's so many people to learn from. You weren't at the show, so I'm not going to bore you with the details of who I met and what we talked about, but I am going to tell you about an obsession and how an obsession with fly fishing begins. Um, it's a challenge, as I mentioned last week. It gets you going inside, it gets you boiling, it gets your mind thinking um, before you even hit the water, which is kind of neat. It's true of every fishing style, so um, I don't want to over, over fly fish snobberize this. It's my new word, snobberize. But I got to talking to people at this show about something that's been um, challenging me, and that's an individual fish species. Uh, talking about all these different fish with um, clay and the fish nerds has brought my mind full circle to new things into exploring new things including ice fishing this year but uh, fly fishing still near and dear to my heart is the most important and challenging of my um, hobbies and endeavors but talking to people and a couple of my earlier experiences this year got me thinking about a fish species I don't know much about and that is the northern pike um, which is a true predator, which is an ambush hunter, which is a big fish when you do see them or catch them. I mean, these are no joke, teeth, jaws, um, everything. So very exciting fish. And guess what? I've never caught one on a spinning rod, um, a fly rod, or an ice fishing rod. I've just never caught one that I can remember. Um, probably did when I was a kid, but that was a long time ago. So I've got this new obsession the northern pike and I want to catch one on a fly so I talked to guides I talked to friends I talked to a few people um, instead of about trout about this new obsession of mine and this is how it starts and this is how it spreads um, because now I'm assembling information about the type of food that they eat how they migrate what their patterns of travel are when they're hot to trot on the water when they don't bite and I start putting all these things together um, through a combination of the internet and friends and real people um, so I'm pre-thinking my fishing before I'm ever going to go. And herein lies kind of my challenge. I mostly fish for trout on a fly. Um, any combination of caddisfly, mayfly, nymph, or woolly bugger, or streamer, they all work. Trout love those things, but trout have a very aquatic insect-driven diet. Um, certainly rainbow trout, certainly brown trout love minnows and, and, and things like that, but they also really really love and at least around here feed mostly on insects um, debatable depending where you are so introducing this notion of the northern pike which is not an insect eater but a meat eater it changes my entire everything I know about fly fishing just kind of got shifted to its other side which is awesome because I have to rethink my my abilities um, I certainly I can toss a fly at a, at a northern pike but if I don't think about what I'm doing, I'm just wasting time. So what I've learned about northern pike in particular is they're aggressive and they are um, mostly fish eaters. They're going to attack any kind of bait fish. Um, they're going to chase bait fish. They're going to travel against um, to get bait fish, which is not any different than any other species necessarily, except that's their exclusive diet, um, along with their breeding activities and their uh, likelihood to be aggressive which I believe is in the spring and the fall though I'm still learning 
So I'm taking this obsession and I'm translating it into a fly fishing strategy, how I'm going to approach it. Um, and I certainly may start out with a spinning rod because the flies that you throw for, for northern pike are huge. They're 8, 9, 10 inches long. They're fluffy as a, as a small dog, as a chihuahua. And if you don't know what you're doing, you're just chucking. You're going to throw your shoulder out and you're never going to want to fish again. So I haven't decided how I'm going to approach um, my quest, but I'm thinking about it. And this is going to be my, my lesson to you about fly fishing is it's so much more than kind of mimicking what the guy next to you is doing. It's a more mental um, obsession. And uh, I hope that, you know, some people listening to this start to think of fishing that way as more of an obsession because then it might start to tick. Um, and I know there's a lot of obsessed guys and gals out there because I see them harassing me on Facebook while I catch small fish. So the moral of that story is maybe I should stop talking and thinking about fishing more because the only way to really learn is to do. Um, true of no matter what you're doing. So, um, so that's my odd fly fishing minute is just start thinking about your quarry. Think more about what they're eating. Think more about the seasons. Think more about the temperature. Think more about um, one thing that was interesting with northerns that I learned is they're incredibly sensitive to atmospheric pressure because their swim bladders are, I don't know what it is about them, but they, they are very sensitive to certain things like moon phases and uh, other fish might be a little bit, but not so much. How do you know these things unless you're out there every day fishing for pike? And I, I'm not going to be. I never will be. There aren't enough of them around in um, our state area here, but it's something I'm going to target. So I'm going to spend a lot of my time being a real nerd and trying to get in the mind of this giant aggressive fish, uh, which is actually pretty cool. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty excited about it. And in addition, I'm uh, reading or I'm listening on audio to the book about shad that was recommended in the FN Book Club here. Um, well, I have caught shad on a fly rod in the rivers here in New Hampshire, um, but by accident while fishing for striped bass. So uh, that's another species that I'm, I'm reading and learning about and trying to get um, a better grasp of understanding because they would be a lot of fun, especially on a fly rod in the salt water or the, or the brackish water or the streams. Um, I guess they can come way up into freshwater. So all these things are going on in my head, um, but I'm tying them all back to my fly fishing experience and which is ultimately matching the behavior of the fish to um, the conditions around it kind of like what I talked about last week. Everything is about kind of stimulating and satisfying that fish in its current state, which is true of any fish or any fishing, but um, fly fishing takes it to a new level. So in my head, I'm thinking about sinking lines. I'm thinking about big, hairy, fluffy um, flies that I don't own nor have, and I'm thinking about how I'm going to chuck those, you know, as far as possible. Do I need better rods? Do I need bigger rods? Do I need to improve my strength? Do I need a boat? Do I need a canoe? All these things keep spinning through my head, so um, that's going to be my obsession for a little while now. We're kind of running out of ice here, so um, my fish nerd time is limited with the effing guides and uh, our friends out here that do a lot of ice fishing, so i got to start thinking about the future. Um, and one thing that I'm told is these northern feed aggressively early in the season, like early spring before the water warms up. Apparently they like cold water. Who knew? Um, so these are the things that I've, I've, I get a big kick out of and I hope to share with other nerds out there as kind of the thought patterns of fish, which um, kind of turned me on, as creepy as that is. But thus is life. So go forth and join the effing revolution of fishermen who catch small fish 
and tag them Collins. Um, hashtag Collins Perch seems to be rather popular, um, which is hilarious that my thumb ring driven approach to fishing. Um, so I proved that they're my small fish. So keep that going. My Instagram would be great to tag me. It's live free or die trying with an N. L-I-V-F-R-E-E or D-I-E-T-R-Y-I-N. No G. Live free or die trying. Um, great place to share. And I would really be interested in anybody, especially Midwest or, or wherever you are, that knows more about Northern Pike to get kind of something going on our um, pages here, the Fish Nerd Podcast pages, just to kind of share information without spoilers and without getting dramatic about the fish and about fishing for it and what you use and do you use a fly rod or is a fly rod a waste of time or, um, you know, all these things, what patterns you use, where you buy your flies, uh, all important stuff. So look forward to that, hearing from everybody. If anybody wants to reach me personally, I'm working on a new project. Um, it's called Mountains and Company www.mtnsandco.com uh, I do web and stuff as we know for the outdoor industry so you can reach me there and keep on nerding friends talk to you later <laughs> so, now I want to go fly fishing. I know. Take me. Um, do you eat uh, seafood? I love it. Do you? Do you eat um, things like octopuses and squids? I yes. I'll eat anything that comes out of the ocean. Anything. Right. And, and where do you get your? How do you make sure your seafood's fresh out where you are? Yeah, we don't because I live in Wisconsin. Everything's flown in right. frozen. Right. So. <laughs> Well, if it's flash frozen, it's fine, you know, if it's, if it's well, yeah. well preserved, you know, I actually, most fish, even on the coast here, uh, are also frozen in the supermarket, but they just, oh, okay. they, they freeze most things at sea and then they ship them in. So it's, unless you're catching it yourself, it's probably at some point seen cold, which is fine. Is there, is there an alternative? To what? To, you know, like making sure that I have some fresh, fresh seafood when I, so how would I know? Like if I went to a. A store, a fish store. How do I know that well, that's fresh and that well, they didn't just thaw it out? Well, if you go to a fishmonger, not don't go to your local supermarket, but a fishmonger okay. like in the Boston area or right at the coast, um, that's more likely to be very, very fresh fish caught locally. Okay. And you can look at the fish's eyes. And if the eyes are super clear, it's probably very fresh. If they're selling the oh. fish filleted already, it's a good bet it's not as fresh as you think. Okay. So if you really want to be sure the fish is fresh, buy a whole fish with the head attached and take a close look at those eyes. And and they shouldn't have almost any smell to them, and those eyes should be nice and clear, not all cloudy and weird looking. So that is a wonderful tip. Yeah, good tip. Anyway, but um, on our show, I don't know if you listen to the show very often, but we have a yes. culinary guy called Hugo, uh, who has a segment called Killing Fish and Time with Hugo. And Hugo <laughs> is like a seagull. Hugo will eat anything, and I love him. I'm afraid to eat what he cooks, but uh, this week he prepared a uh, blue octopus for us. Yum. This beautiful, beautiful blue octopus, and on the show notes, I put some photos for you to check out, Carrie. I'm not sure if you saw them or not, but it's like this really purpley blue fish, a uh, fish, yep. excuse me, octopus. They are not <laughs> fish. Um, and uh, he cooks them, and he did it sous vide style. Have you, have you heard about this trend, sous vide? 
No. So that's where you take your fish or your meat or whatever it happens to be, and you put it in a plastic bag, and you put it in water, and then it has this, there's like this little wand you attach to the water, and it gets the water to like, to a low temperature, but for a long period, and cooks your, your meat at that temperature. It's called sous vide. Then you take it out, and if you want, want it flamed or grilled or whatever, you take a blowtorch, and you fire it with a blowtorch, and then you serve it. And it's like wow. a new trend in making like really tender meats and fishes and stuff like that. So Hugo did this sous vide style, and it looks fantastic. And here's that. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Hello, Fish Nerd community! Hugo Medeiros here, fishing and cooking correspondent for the Fish Nerds. Check us out at fishnerds.com. So today I'm really pumped. We got a special treat here today. I am cooking octopus. Uh, love octopus. Uh, only trick with it is making sure it's nice and tender. Bunch of ways to cook it. Um, the one I did today is really special. It's a recipe I found. Um, so the way I'm cooking it is in what's called a sous vide uh, machine. It's uh, S-O-U-S-V-I-D-E. And what it is, it's uh, immersed in water. It's a, it's a tub of water. And it has a unit that circulates the water and keeps it at an exact temperature for whatever amount of period that you like. So for octopus, I cooked it at 180 degrees for four hours. So I took the octopus, I uh, cut it in half, cleaned it up, took you to take the uh, beak and the eyes out, and then I put it inside a vacuum seal bag. And the real neat thing, and uh, you guys will see on fishnards.com the pictures, is uh, what I did is I took a head of uh, red cabbage, which actually looks purple, and I put the red cabbage in my fruit juicer. So we got this beautiful, dark, deep, rich purple juice. And the octopus marinated in a Tupperware with that uh, juice for 24 hours. And when I took it out and rinsed it, it was amazing. It's a real vibrant purple color. It looks nuts. It's awesome. So that went inside the vacuum seal bag. And this time, um, I'm on this Asian uh, Chinese type kick. So what I put inside the bag along with the octopus was some Chinese uh, white wine, white cooking wine, a little bit of soy sauce, a drop of sesame seed oil, and uh, about a tablespoon of fish sauce, and some scallions and fresh ginger. So that has been, I'm about to take it out now. That was, like I said, for four hours at, excuse me, eight hours at 180 degrees. So this should be very interesting. The first thing I'm going to do with it now is make a Portuguese style, or you can see this in, in several countries in, uh, in Western Europe and other places, I'm sure. It's an octopus salad. So I think I'm going to see as it goes. I might change it up, but I'm going to start with just taking some shallots some really good quality um, extra virgin olive oil that I just got and a little bit of lemon juice and salt and pepper and we're gonna take some of the octopus and dice it up small and mix it up in that um, vinaigrette and put it in the fridge for an hour or so 
and that should be phenomenal. After that, what I'm going to do is uh, for this sous vide method uh, to complement it, I bought this torch that's called a Sears All. And it's, uh, it's a torch, but it's got an attachment on it that makes it a wider diameter. And what you do with it is the food that you take out of the uh, vacuum sealed bags that have been sitting in there in that water bath, when you take the food out, it really, the color is not really that attractive. It's cooked perfectly inside. But with this torch, we sear it all over the outside and you just get this beautiful color as if you had seared it in a pan on high heat or grilled it. So what I'm going to do next is take some of the um, arms, the octopus arms, because they're not, uh, they're often called tentacles, but they're not, and sear those up and it'll be like a grilled octopus. And uh, I'm not sure yet what I'm going to do with that. I'm going to take a look and see. Um, the other third thing I might do if I have time is uh, chop up some octopus as well and make it into uh, wrap it up into uh, Vietnamese style fresh spring rolls so that should be very interesting I got some uh, shredded vegetables for that and some uh, mint and basil and cilantro and uh, have a nice uh, Asian dipping sauce for that so it should be a lot of fun I will be back thanks everybody and we're back so I got the octopus out of the uh, vacuum seal bag the uh, funny thing that I uh, forgot well I knew I just didn't think about it is they shrink a lot when you cook them so this is not gonna make uh, three different recipes and it's definitely not gonna be um, uh, dinner for two we'll have to come up with an alternative plan there but it looks amazing it is purple as purple can be and I'm gonna chop it up, I think, and probably just make a salad out of it. So we're gonna start that and cut this up into little pieces. I got some shallots here ready to go. Gonna whisk up some olive oil and lemon juice in there. And uh, I'll decide on some fresh herbs. And that will be a little salad. Once we get that all set here and done, then I will... Uh, let you guys know what we come up with I'm, I'm imagining with that sous vide technique it is going to be perfectly tender so we will dig in and find out and report back in one minute thanks guys all right so here we are back i chopped up the octopus arms actually i, I uh, torched it with the uh, flame throwing sears all first to make it really nice chopped it up small and ended up throwing it in a vinaigrette of super good quality olive oil a little bit of uh, vinegar I used instead of lemon juice because I'm starving and couldn't wait and we have shallots and a jalapeno and some cilantro and this is unbelievably tender this came out perfect I actually said something incorrect earlier I cooked this in the sous vide machine at 180 degrees for four hours not eight hours so four hours this came out it's as tender and good as any octopus salad I've ever had anywhere so this is one I'll post the recipe up this is one that you guys should definitely um, give it a shot so for the uh, octopus you buy them frozen and uh, if you're lucky to be near a Portuguese market 
that's where uh, where I was able to find it. So let's see. We'll come back with um, the next recipe. All right, I'm going crazy with this stuff. It's so good. I, again, I can't believe how tender this octopus came out. It's it's phenomenal. So I made two more salads with it. I made one real nice and simple. I like spicy stuff. My wife's not really crazy about it. So I made one that was just that really good quality olive oil and a little bit of uh, white truffle balsamic glaze and salt and there, just a touch of salt and pepper and that was it. And now I went back and made a third salad and this one is with mixed greens and shredded carrots. There's a little bit of kale all cut up really small and just with the same uh, vinaigrette and a dash of sesame seed oil. So it's got a little Asian twist to it. It is phenomenal. And I might, this might do it for, that's the rest of the octopus. Wow, that went quick and I was starving. This is delicious. I am gonna take a run to the Portuguese market I found and I think I'm gonna have to make this uh, once a week. All right, folks, check out fishnerds.com and look for the recipes. Thanks, everybody. Peace. Now I'm hungry. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> All right. So, man, always, always glad to have Hugo. <laughs> Hugo is part of our show. Um, I'm never sure if I should eat what Hugo cooks or not, but uh, I really like him. <laughs> and, and he's so happy all the time, which is my favorite thing about Hugo. Um, and, Carrie, we have a sponsor on our show now. Oh, right. I know. We're so happy. Mystery Tackle Box is supporting this episode of the Fish Nerds Podcast. That is like podcasting gold right there. I know, isn't it? Um, and if Mr. Tackle Box is a monthly Tackle Box subscription where every month you get a package in the mail from Mystery Tackle Box. And they have like thematic boxes like trout box or fly fishing box or bass box. And in that box is a bunch of fishing lures and you have no idea what you're going to get until you get it. So every day is like Christmas and you open it up and boom, there's your fishing lures. And if you go to Mystery Tackle Box dot com and put in the coupon code fishnerds you can save five bucks off your first order and believe it or not this is we actually get paid if you subscribe to them like that's how they pay us so that's awesome they're not paying me unless unless people actually give them money <laughs> so, so if they want to support the show yeah. and they want some cool tackle everyone that's so fun yeah my hope is we can sell a whole bunch of them and then they'll actually support us financially and give us the coupon codes that would be wonderful. That's the hope. We're trying. We're experimenting. We're trying to find a way to keep the show going. Going, um, But it's way <laughs> cool. They sent me some boxes of really fun stuff, and we've had some unboxing videos on Facebook and stuff, and you can check those guys out. MysteryTackleBox.com, coupon code FISHNERDS, all one word. Do it now. Help us keep this show on the road. <sighs> so, Carrie, so speaking of fly fishing, we're going to back up a little bit. Do you fly mm -hmm. fish? I do. I love to fly fish. Are I don't you, get to do it very often. Right. What's your but. favorite style of fishing? Is it fly fishing or is it spearing or what do you like? Um, that's a hard question because I don't get to fish as much as I get to hunt. Mm -hmm. So, I know I think uh, I think just jigging for walleyes is pro you know just the basic minnow jig yeah. is probably my favorite. Honest, keep it's, it simple. It's effective and it works. Now here's yep. the cool thing. Now in Vermont, Carrie, you can hunt fish with a gun. What? Yeah, in Lake Champlain, it's legal to hunt pike, carp, bullheads, uh, and a few other species of fish with a rifle. 
What? So you can set up in a tree stand, with, and you can shoot fish from your tree stand. Nah, I'm not Are you for real. I'm totally for real. <laughs> yeah, that's the most bizarre thing I've ever heard of in my life. I know, but you would totally do it, wouldn't you? I totally would. Yeah, me too. For like a boss. Oh my god, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't know how to hunt, and I'm in. Like, I'm like, yes. So, okay, so so I'm going to come, and I'm going to rent your neighbor's house, and we're going to go shoot fish from a tree stand. Yay! Doesn't that sound great? <laughs> now, uh, well, just bear in mind, we're, that, we're in Vermont. I live in New Hampshire. And in, uh-huh. in Vermont, where we can, where the only lake you can do it on is about two hours away from here. Oh, okay. So it's okay. So it's still, right. still closer than that's Wisconsin. Right. So you're still... <laughs> For sure. I, I would totally... If you came out, I, we would make that happen. <laughs> In fact, there's a kid whose parents listen to the show. His name is Cassin Carter. He's a, he owns an internet company. And he mm-hmm. owns a house on Lake Champlain. And his parents said we can go use it whenever we want. And, and they have Bowfin in his backyard. All yeah. right. So yeah. I will trade you a sturgeon spearing trip for, <laughs> for a rifle hunting fish trip. All right. If we can pull this off, <laughs> man, oh I, I, on YouTube stars, we would be... <laughs> We would Holy we would make dozens of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah, that would be amazing. I've been talking about this for years, but anyway, I've been uh, this year. My goal, like I said, Rich Collins is, is his job is to teach me to be a better fly fisher, and my goal is to actually catch some fish on the fly and tie my own flies. Uh, but Michael Franks, our he's our he's a guide in South Carolina. He he thinks it's his job to convince me to fly fish. So he sent us, he went to a big fly fishing exposition, and he sent us a couple of audio recordings of um, Ked Edmonds of Georgia, which I guess he's a big deal in the fly fishing world, and Dave, okay. and Dave Whitlock, which are also, I, I'm told these guys are big names in the industry. But being someone who doesn't follow fly fishing, I don't know these things. But uh, they've <laughs> recorded uh, a little audio on why I need to fly fish more. And uh, I'm just going to play it for you guys. I can't wait to hear it. Me too. Yeah. We are here with Dave Whitlock, fly fishing legend, uh, excellent artist, and all around great uh, southern gentleman. Um, Dave, I was wondering if you had some words of encouragement for Clay Groves, our chief fish nerd. Okay. Let him play. Play, hi, play. Listen. Let me tell you something. I was uh, I got into this sport when I was about nine years old. Boy, is a church mouse from Oklahoma, and uh, it has made my life and uh, my world so wonderful. I would encourage almost anyone who really wants to have a better lifestyle and be happier, and take better care of the world to uh, to take up watches. There are so many wonderful aspects people and friends that you, you know, that will enrich your life when you get in there. It's not just about catching fish. Uh, there's really little no small effect about it. We're just all one big, very close and happy family. And we try to share and be good to each other. And we'd like for you to consider uh, joining join us and uh, in enriching your life with this great sport. Thanks very much, Dave. Hey, Clay. Uh, this is Ken Edmonds. I'm down in Georgia, and, and, and his boys tell me I need to talk to you about fly fishing. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not that different, you know. As a, as a guy told me, it's just fishing. Uh, we can do some things with a fly that 
that you can't do with conventional tackle. You can do some things with conventional tackle we can't do with the fly. But it's just fishing and uh, fishing with artificial baits. So uh, you, you're from up there in New England. You probably got all these stuffy guys who wear their tweeds and, and their bow ties and, and carry their bamboo rods. But we're down here in Georgia, and, and I guess probably best description, we, we're just redneck fly, redneck fly fishers down here. And, and we're just, you know, we're just wanting to catch some fish, uh, whatever kind it happens to be. I, I kind of grew up as a, a trout fisherman, but, but I moved down here south of Atlanta, and, and we ain't got no trout down here. But turns out there's a lot of fish that'll eat a fly. And in some cases, we catch them better with a fly than we can catch them with bait. Um, the other nice thing about it is, is it's, it's a little bit more active. Uh, the downside is to it is you usually don't have a, a, an extra hand to hold your beer. But... Uh, it, it will definitely catch some fish, so you ought to give it a try. We, uh, we fish down here. We fish for, I guess, I don't know what y'all call them up, here, up there. We call them brim down here. It'd be sunfish like bluegill and, and shellcracker and warmouth and redbreast, that sort of thing. We catch some bass. We don't have many smallmouth, but we have some. I fish down on the Flint River where there's shoal bass, which is... It's kind of a smallmouth, sort of a relative of the black bass, uh, but they like shallow, moving, rocky water. So a fly really is a better way to fish that water than, than, than fishing with conventional tackle. Uh, just talk to a, to a lady who comes from over in Alabama. Their necks are even redder than ours, and uh, she's a crappy or crappie fisherman. Uh, I don't know whether y'all have crappie, crappie up there, but... But Actually, it's Kent, they do. They fish for them through the ice all the time. Oh, yeah. Ah. Well, they, they fish for them all the time in Alabama. It's, it's table fare at least once a week. But uh, fly turns out to be the perfect, perfect bait for, for crappy because crappy like to, to eat bait that's above them, and they like to eat it on the fall. And down here, they fish for them probably with a very similar jig to what y'all use. And they throw them out and they try to regulate the depth and they may jig it just a little bit with a with a float but with a fly rod with that preponderance of, of liking to eat a bait on the fall with a fly you can cast a very light bait lure a lot further than you'd cast you know like a 132nd ounce you can't throw it far even on a lightweight spinning rod but with a fly rod you can throw it a pretty good ways and it's heavy enough to sink, but light enough to sink real, real slowly. And so you just flip that out there and let it sink and, and keep slightly tight to the line, and you'll feel them when it goes lump. Uh, so it can, be, it can be a good way to fish, and, and more importantly, it can be a real fun way to fish. I get I get a good many and I, I I can't speak to how they respond to conventional tackle but I, but I get a lot who who definitely respond to the idea of fly fishing um, and and maybe they just enjoy the 
the act of fishing as much as as anything and um, catching becomes it started out not as important but they actually enjoy the process how many and, of them come to you on their own or how many are dragged along by boyfriends or significant others just out of curiosity? Um, I don't think many are dragged I think think sometime they may have convinced their male significant other to bring them along uh, I can see that. but but I don't I don't have many that are that are dragged along so you think fly fishing is a growing sport among women uh, yeah I don't think there's any doubt about it you can tell it at the shows like this where where you see more and more women awesome. and and women tend to do pretty good with it well um, because fly fishing is generally a nut about muscle you know, sometimes the only reason I can see a guy wouldn't want to bring a, his lady along is is it happens more than once. They wind up doing better and catching more fish than he does. I've seen that happen. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I appreciate it, Ken. Okay, man. Okay, that's enough of that. I, I'm I'm tired of being convinced of things. I was just gonna say, sounds sounds. I'm convinced. Yeah, Let's go. Screw that. I'm not. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm so tired of the peer <laughs> pressure. I, I'm from now on. I'm only fishing by throwing rocks at fish. That's my, <laughs> You're my, only my, fishing by rifle. By rifle. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring rifles to your spearing holes out in Wisconsin. Now, what would be defined in Wisconsin for shooting a sturgeon with a rifle? Um, they're pretty strict out here, so I'm sure it would be in the thousands of dollars, and then they would go ahead and take your rifle and your truck. But would I go to jail? Um, I think you would just have to pay some restitution. Okay, good. So now we just know it's a fee for service. <laughs> a fine without jail attached to it is just a fee for a service, right? So what you need is like a $15,000 unethical sponsor who doesn't mind putting exactly. the bill. Exactly. I'm calling Donald Trump. That's it. Too soon? Oh, no, you did yeah. not. I went there. there. <laughs> I don't usually go there. I'm just trying to think of someone who has mon- money and is unethical. That's all I'm, that's Aww, I'm sorry. No I'm sorry. No, no. All right. Let's move on. Um, okay. <laughs> right before we go down that rabbit hole, we start arguing. You can't get out of that. You can't. There's no backing out. All right. It's just funny. All right. So, how about some fish in the news? <laughs> All right. Yeah, I love fish in the news. All right, this is from PBS. I don't know if you've read these news already. This is why, why this is from PBS NewsHour by Nadia Sussman. Why this Brazilian city uses tilapia fish skin to treat burn victims. So, in Fort Zelia, Brazil, in this historic city. By the sea in northeast Brazil, burn patients look as if they've emerged from the waves. They are covered in fish skin, specifically strips of sterilized tilapia. By the way, eating tilapia, not an option for me. Wearing tilapia, How come? I'm in. Um, you know, if, if you, <laughs> I, I recommend you go on to a culinary page and yeah. put in, right, just type in, how do, should I cook tilapia and see what people say. Okay, <laughs> I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna dig in too deep. It actually tastes really good, but it's uh, it's produced in a way that's pretty terrible, and uh, it's kind of a generic thing. Although a wild cat caught tilapia, I'd be more in on. 
I will uh, eat wild-caught tilapia. I will not eat farm-raised. Yeah, I, I'm not sure they sell wild-caught around here. But my wife buys tilapia every so often. And I do I do eat it when she brings it home because it will hurt her feelings if I don't. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> doctors here are testing the skin of the popular fish as a bandage for second and third degree burns. The innovation arose from an unmet need. Animal skin has long been used in the treatment of burns in developed countries. But Brazil lacks the human skin, pig skin, and artificial alternatives that are widely available in the U.S. Did you know that they do this? I did not. So you get burned and someone puts pig skin on you? On you? I did not know. That, that sounds really weird. All right. Well, the three functional skins banks in Brazil can meet only 1% of the national demand. A plastic surgeon, uh, Edmund, Edmar Marcial, said, um, as a result, the public health patients in Brazil are normally banned with gauze and silver sulfidized cream. It's a burn cream because there's silver in it, and so it prevents the burns from being infected, said Dr. Jean Lee. Uh, but it doesn't help in terms of de- debriding a burn or necessarily helping it heal. So I guess... Something about having real animal skin helps them heal faster? Well, so I just kind of skipped ahead a little bit. Yeah. And all I saw was the amount of collagen proteins mm-hmm. are very important for scarring, existing large quantity, blah, blah, blah. All I saw was collagen, and I'm thinking, hmm, wow, this is really good for the skin, huh? Yeah. Hmm. As a female, big fan of beauty treatments. Yeah, I am hmm. too. I am so <laughs> I am. I am pretty also. I yeah. know. You <laughs> <laughs> might have to look into this a little, a little I, further. I know. Well, there's a link up at fishnurse.com. But basically, doing is they're wrapping these burns in tilapia, and it's apparently having them help them heal faster and scar less. And that's the goal with burn victims. That's um, crazy. They're not replacing their skin with with tilapia skin, but uh, it's uh, just boosting. It's just boosting the cell regeneration. Yeah. And, you know, it's I, I'm a fan of this, all these kind of interesting treatments. It's funny that Brazil is the one doing it. Because um, Brazil is known for having the, almost the most plastic surgery in the world. Have you ever been to Brazil? I have Everybody not. Everybody there is beautiful. They are. And it's actually... Um, it's, it's, gonna be, it's also the... the um, it's also the, the, uh, the, the, the breast enhancement capital of the world. More people in that country have breast enhancements than anywhere else on the planet. I believe it. Everybody yeah. down there is beautiful, I yeah. swear. And there's lots of, like, backwoods doctors and all kinds of, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I, but I've never yeah. been there. I'd like to go. Um, not just because mm. of the breasts, but just... Because <laughs> everybody's beautiful there. You're like, I would like to go to the nude beach thing. Everyone's beautiful <laughs> and covered in tilapia skin. <laughs> yeah. Right. It, but if you, look at the, if you look at the photos of this stuff, it did look like lizard people. It is crazy. It's awesome. So, I mean, I love technology. And I love what people are doing. Um, science. Now, I here's a question. Now, I have a lot of vegan fans. That's not true. Which is... I, I was like, no, what? No, that I, doesn't I, even make any sense. I have, I have <laughs> vegan... We have local vegan protesters, actually, who show up uh, and and write terrible letters to my boss and tell me tell him what a bad person I am. Um, oh, my gosh. I know. But I wonder... So, let's, let's imagine you're a vegan, if you can. And and uh, so you're eating really healthy foods and all that stuff. And but you're also, you're, you know, you're also a vegan, not just for the food, but for the lifestyle. Which I, I support the vegan diet, not the vegan lifestyle. Correct. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and the vegan lifestyle is judgmental. You know, yelling at you. Yes. So, but let's pretend you're a vegan burn victim. And someone says, "Okay, you're about to 
you could be scarred for life and in pain forever unless we put tilapia skin on you. What do you do? So, can I just tell you a really brief story about a vegan that I know um, who, yes. who had, and I'll change some of the details that in case she ever listens to this episode, she's not like, why'd you tell everybody? It's unlikely, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, just in case. Um, she had a horrible, she had cancer, and one of the things that the doctor said was, you're getting sicker and sicker because you're not getting an the correct amount of proteins and nutrients. Sure. Well, she actually works... Well, I'll just say she just actually works for HSUS. She's a lobbyist for them. Okay. And so she started eating meat because wow. she literally, literally needed it. Right. You, you're going to die. Like, <laughs> you're going to die if you don't eat right. some freaking bacon. And she did. And <laughs> she caught hell from her coworkers and the people around her, of course, because they would prefer she wither away and get sick and die then eat meat for six months or whatever to get better. I know. It's a real test of your ethics, you know. And, 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 theori- and, and theoretically, you can get enough protein from your vegetable stuff, but you have to really focus on what you're eating, and it's hard. It's so hard. Yeah. But, but yeah, that's interesting. And, and you hear that every so often. But anyway, I think I would get over it. Like, if... I'm trying to think... Me too. If, I'm trying to think, like, like I'm against killing large sharks. Mm-hmm. But if it was me or them, I still would choose me. To live. Exactly. Yeah. Right, exactly. And I think that's 99.99% of the people out yeah. there, even vegans. Even vegans, yeah. Most of them. <laughs> and by the way, if any vegans are listening and disagree with that, please go to fishnerds.com, <laughs> send us a message, uh, and I'll forward to Carrie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Maybe strict. All eight mail, too. Yeah, Carrie at. On <laughs> <laughs> fish travel that There it is. <laughs> All right, the next news is from Fox News. So let's check this out here. Open that before I try to record it. And this is, uh, let's see, this is a travel story. You'll like this. All right, so it's Fox News Travel. Uh, annual Japanese snow art festival uses real frozen fish in controversial display. An annual winter festival in Japan is fighting off a controversy for displaying a work of art featuring dead frozen fish suspended in ice. In the Sapporo Snow Festival in Hokkaido, now in its 68th year, has featuring some type of showcase with frozen fish for nearly half of the 33 of those festivals. The event organized stand behind the decision to use frozen marine life as works of art. Displays are art, and we would like to continue producing them in the future, said Saicha Shinodo, the chairman of the Sosuko Tourist Association. So, let's take a look at these pictures here. There's so, these big ice sculptures full of fish, and they're kind of pretty. Kind of okay. So, how do, what are your thoughts about this? Well, it's funny. We did, we, did a, we did a similar story a few months ago about an ice rink that had frozen fish in the ice rink. And I am not a huge fan of just killing things to kill them. Yeah. I'm a big fan of you kill an animal, you eat the animal. And so, if this ended with... We thaw them out at the end and eat them. I am full on in support of it. Other than that, I would imagine a artificial fish would work just as well. <laughs> what do you think about it? I completely agree. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I mean, I'm not against <laughs> yeah. killing. It's if just... it's just being wasteful, then I am not into it at all. I am not a big fan of being wasteful. Yeah, it doesn't seem doesn't feel good to me. But at the same no. time, it's I don't know I don't live in Japan and I don't live their life and their culture and it's a whole different different thing. 
Um, it's still, I don't care what culture you are, wasteful is being wasteful is being wasteful. I agree. If you're yeah. too wasteful, it's going to go away. <laughs> totally true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there will be no more. <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's read on here. Most of the displays at the festival feature larger than life carvings from snow, which I do support. Some of the most famous figures this year include snow sculptures of President Donald Trump, Star Wars characters, and even a giant cup of noodles. But one of the largest displays <laughs> with fish was created by members of the Tourist Association. It features nine blocks of ice measuring more than three feet long and almost two feet wide. And it incorporates nine different types of sea life typical to Hokkaido, including salmon and snow crabs. Despite the fact that this isn't the first time the Sapporo organizations have used frozen fish in our displays, many online are speaking out against the attraction. And it has some tweets we can read if you want to. So this one says... There was talking of stopping it, but the ice block fish gallery is on display again. I guess not very funny. Um, I'm not going to read them because none of them are funny. <laughs> um, but anyway, they used about two dozen different species of fish, and I don't know. The part of me sees the beauty in it, and the other part has a problem with it. So you've heard my opinion yeah. on that, but it's kind of interesting. <laughs> I wonder how many fish total they killed to do this. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, have you ever? I bet none of them are octopus. Yeah, I, I bet <laughs> not. <laughs> Thousands of dead fish, it says here. Thousands. Hmm. So, um, have you ever just to just to play the hypocrite game here? Have you ever killed mm-hmm. a fish and not eaten it? I have. Me too. Me too. <laughs> of course. But not on purpose. Right. Like, not to make put on display, like, to stick it on my spear and stick it out my front door <laughs> on my lawn for everybody to look at. Yeah. I, I went fishing um, yesterday, ice fishing up in a place called Milan, New Hampshire, which is about... I live I live in, north, in northern New Hampshire, but you can go an hour and a half more north um, yesterday. And it was negative five degrees with 30-mile-hour winds, and we were ice fishing, and it was painful. And so at the end, we threw all the fish we caught into my sled, and we brought them all in the house to cook. And I left one little fish in my sled, and then and, uh, and it warmed up in my truck, and I did not eat it. And I felt kind of bad about it, <laughs> but but what am I going to do? But I didn't have it for artwork, so I am a hypocrite. Yeah. I did kill. For, yeah. I did kill for sport, and I'm going to do it again. <laughs> well, okay, and I'm sure many of the listeners go carp fishing, or, I mean, you don't eat carp, you put them um, in your garden. You don't eat carp? Ugh. No, carp were no, brought, no. Carp, carp were brought to the United States as a food fish. I know, they're gross. They're not. They don't taste food? good. They do. I don't like them. Oh, Ugh. I'll cook you carp. No, gross. No? <laughs> <laughs> I, I genuinely know people who love it, like, don't get me wrong. I just don't, I prefer not to eat them. <laughs> I made, um, the only carp I ever, I ever ate, I made gefilte fish out of, which is like a traditional, like, Passover food. And it yeah. tastes like meatloaf. And really? It was, it was super good. Yeah. It tasted mm. a lot like meatloaf. Like, with, tastes like al- almost beefy in texture. Yeah. <laughs> so, but um, I imagine that we, you could make similar things, make meatballs out of it or something cool. But you're mixing the carp yeah. with, with breadcrumbs and all kinds of other seasonings. And so, but I'm, well, a, I'm, I'm sure, and I'm sure regionally, I'm sure regionally, everybody has their, ooh, I won't eat that kind of it. We, a lot of people in Wisconsin would eat sheep's head and I love them as long as they stay cold. Well, if yeah. you let the, if you let them warm up, then they get mushy and gross. Yeah. But well, I, I would say um, even regionally, people don't eat carp. It's just not a thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, not, not I, I eat them because it's interesting, but it's not really a thing most people are doing. <laughs> so, 
Wow. So, uh, Carrie, thanks for being part of the show. Tell us again where we can get your podcast. Yeah, you can find the Huntfish Travel podcast on iTunes, Podkicker, Stitcher Radio. You can always go to huntfishtravel.net and look at previous episodes there. And, of course, you can find it on the Outdoor Podcast Channel Network. You can just go search for Outdoor Podcast Channel in iTunes, and it'll come right up. So that's it. You've listened to a couple of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. We'd like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast. Go on fishing quests and do all sorts of silly things that nerds do. If you'd like to support the fish nerds, you can go to patreon.com and search for fish nerds and help us crowdfund this podcast. Special thanks to Carrie Z of the Hunt Fish Travel Podcast. Carrie, I'm so happy that you have made time for us tonight. Thank you so oh, and much. By the way, and by the way, I, I was try, I tried to get you for the for the Valentine's special, but it didn't work out. So I'm sorry about that. I too. know, because I was sturgeon spearing. I know. I, know. We had, I had a I had a beer nerd on instead, so it was just. <laughs> <laughs> and until next time, follow the code of the fish nerd. Spawn early and often. Avoid free lunches with strings attached. Swim against the current every chance you get. All right, that's it. You made a podcast with me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I well, thanks it. for having me on. All Anytime. Right. Right, I gotta go. This my is kid, a lot of fun. My kid is in the doorway with a string tied to her tooth. <laughs> So. <laughs> okay, I'll let you go. I gotta go. All right, thanks, Terry. <laughs> Bye. Bye.